the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. It's been a beautiful today today outside, hasn't it? Uh, I haven't spent much time outside, but from what I can see, yesterday and today were two of the best days we've had in a long time. No heavy rain at the same time. Uh, not so cold that you have to really, really bundle up. Um, I wish I could be outside enjoying it, but you know what? I think it's more important that I'm here right now talking to all of you out there. Now, uh, you can certainly call if you'd like. Uh, you can call the show. And, uh, boy, I know I have the number here somewhere. Yeah, here we go. You can call 800-516-1220 if you'd like to ask me questions on the air. I'm happy to do that, happy to answer those questions. I uh, want to let you all know that I do have my seminars coming up, my Living Trust Seminar and my Retirement Plan Trust Seminar will actually be tomorrow morning in my office here in San Jose. You can visit lawbob.com and look for the links to uh, to my calendar to sign up for those, or you can go to eventbrite.com, search for the Living Trust Seminar or the Retirement Plan Trust Seminar and find the links there. I have several more of those seminars coming up right now through February of uh, this coming year. So if tomorrow won't work for you, then there may be uh, another seminar coming up in the future that will work better for you. Now, for the last several months, I've spent most of my time on this show uh, sharing with you situations that have come up around the state of California with, uh, with various families that are facing estate issues. It could be an issue regarding someone who's passed away. It could be an issue regarding a beneficiary of a trust or will. And, um, and so they, the, um, the situations I've come up with have actually, um, I know already they've actually helped some people because they've contacted me and said, oh, I'm so glad that you uh, brought that up. That's a situation I was in and uh, gave me some guidance what to do. So I'm glad to do that. Now here, Here's something out of Southern California, and it's a question I'm sure actually does come up now and then. Uh, This person's in the process of applying for a tax ID number for a trust, and uh, the owner of the trust, who has died, um, lived in California most of his life, and the trust indicates that the trust will be 
construed and enforced in accordance with the laws of the state of California. Not unusual if it was drawn up here in California. Two months prior to the person dying, he moved to North Carolina and sold his California residence, and he opened a bank account in North Carolina. So the question is, in applying for a tax ID number for the trust, the IRS asks you, the state where the trust is located. Now, should this be California or North Carolina? Well, if the person has moved off to North Carolina and uh, and that's where they were living, then it might very well be North Carolina. California would still be legitimate because California is named as where the trust is to be administered. Really, probably the most important thing is where does the successor trustee live? Because the successor trustee is the one that is actually going to be administering this trust with whatever's left in it now that the original owner has died. So typically, where the trust is administered is where the successor trustee is. And it may not necessarily mean that's where the laws of the state apply, because you could have someone who lives in another state that's a successor trustee. The IRS wants to know where the trust is administered because they want to know um, where information should be sent um, in reference to that trust. So it could be where the person originally lived. It could be where they live now. There's no clear-cut answer one way or the other. Now, here's a situation out of Los Angeles. Can I sue my mother's dead husband's estate on her behalf? I'm now the conservator for my mom, and mom has dementia now. She's, uh, she's very elderly. So the deal was mom never divorced or received a settlement from her deceased husband. So I guess when the, it sounds like when the stepfather died, um, mom was still married with the stepfather. He died 40 years ago. He left a house to his adult children. Um, mom has dementia. I want to know if I can file a lawsuit on her behalf and what the chances are of winning half of what he left to his family. Well, the first question is, if he left a house to his adult children, did he leave a house that was his separate property, separate from the marriage with this person's mother? If that's the case, he had an absolute right to do that, and there's really no way to recover anything at any time. If the property was owned by the by mom and the stepdad, and he purported to leave the house to his adult children, and half of the house was owned by mom because it was community property, but she did nothing about that, and it was 40 years ago, I think the answer is that it is far too late to do anything at all about that today. We have things called statutes of limitations. Statutes of limitations actually limit the time during which you can bring some kind of legal action in order to enforce rights or attack something that was done, attack a will or a trust, for example. Um, there's limited time to do that. And if you sit on your hand for longer than the statute of limitations, then you've lost the ability to ever go to court and complain about whatever it was that is bothering you. 
So here, um, what do you do when a successor trustee provides a partial copy of a trust and a will? Dad died about three months ago, and the family trust is to be split between um, three children, each to get one-third. Um, this person says they're getting a commercial rental, and then the two brothers are getting five houses each that we agreed on, and we're each collecting income, but I haven't received the deed for the property, and the successor trustee gave me a partial copy of the will and trust and tells me that's what he received from the trust attorney. So, first of all, the successor trustee is entitled to a complete copy of any will and trust if they're the ones taking over, not a partial copy. So the successor should probably ask for a complete copy of everything because they're entitled to that. Also, the three um, siblings here are entitled to receive a copy of the terms of the trust, which is actually not really defined in the law. But my practice and the practice of many attorneys actually considers to be a copy of the trust document um, because it's hard to kind of pull out what are the terms and what does that really mean. So here, uh, the thing to do is uh, is insist from the trustee, give me a copy of the terms of the trust, and the trustee should insist that they get a complete copy of the trust from the attorney that I guess was probably the attorney for the person who's died, for the dad who died. We're coming up now on the first break of the show today, and I want to urge you, if you'd like to ask me a question on the air, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You could also email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's L-E-W-B-O-B dot com. And uh, you can ask questions there as well if you'd prefer to do that. Be happy to look at those and answer some of those on the air as well. So until we come back after the break, this is estate planning attorney Bob Brigman, your host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I'll talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. If you want to give me a call and you have any question you'd like to ask on the air that you'd like me to answer, it's 800-516-1220. Or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio at lawbob.com. You can ask me your questions that way. Be happy to take a look at it. And um, and see if we can answer it on the air for you. So here is, uh, let me take a look here. Oh, here we go. Here's someone's talking about a, a trust. It appears that a parent has died and there is an article in the parent's trust called Duty to Report. And the duty report section says the trustee is not obligated to account any time outside the requirements of California law. Well, California law basically requires uh, accountings within a certain time period that they be provided. Um, first, I want to know, is this normal? Well, um, there's really nothing unusual with a, with a provision like this because... 
what it's saying is that you can't force the trustee to do like monthly accountings or quarterly accountings or things like that. Only whatever California law happens to require at the time. Um, the question, uh, another question though, was this person wants to know: Am I required to sign off before a final payment can be cleared without receiving a full accounting first? The answer is well, no. Um, the trustee has an obligation to account to the beneficiaries at least as frequently as required by California law, whatever the law may be at the time. And there, and the trustee also cannot condition paying somebody by having them sign off of an accounting first or agreeing to everything without getting a full accounting. That's just not really permitted. A lot of trustees will try to do that, but... I, I would point out something, and, and this is basically for any of you out there who have been named as a successor trustee, say for a parent's trust, or um, or you're the trustee of a trust for someone right now, the main part of the word trustee is trust. And acting as a trustee in California, you are really much more a servant than someone who's really in charge. And what I mean by that is this. The trustee of a trust has obligations under the law here in California. The obligations include primarily a duty to the beneficiaries of the trust, a duty to do whatever's in the best interest of the beneficiaries of the trust, a duty to not self-deal, meaning uh, buy or sell, or provide services to the trust unless specifically authorized to do so, a duty to account, a duty to keep the beneficiaries informed of what's going on with the trust. All of these duties are actually responsibilities owed by the trustee to the beneficiaries. In the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple instances where people have come in to talk with me or they've called me on the phone and they have indicated that, you know, hey, we have a problem here. Um, we've been sitting around here now for a year now. And, and you know, my sister took over when my dad died. And my sister's living in dad's house and is basically telling everybody and acting like it's her house, even though we're supposed to share it equally. What's the deal? And um, the and the problem there is a pretty big problem. The the problem is that the sister who's acting as the trustee actually is sounds like is already breaking the trust and even violating the California trust law by her actions. She cannot just stay living in the property and not pay rent, live there on her own, tell everybody she's in charge. It's her house. Apparently, also doing things to the property. Um, actually making changes, physical changes to the property. All those kinds of things actually violate what the nature of a trust and trustee are. So if you're a trustee and you're not getting advised by an attorney about what your responsibilities are, I urge you consult with competent trust counsel to make sure you're not accidentally creating a problem for yourself. It's it's such a big problem that if you do something wrong or do something contrary to the interests of the beneficiaries, you could be sued for that. You could be ordered replaced by a court as the trustee. And in some cases, the court could order 
a chargeback against your distributive share of monies or losses suffered because you did not act in the best interests of the trustee. So if you're acting as a trustee, uh, don't try to do it solo. Don't try and do it on your own. Get trust counsel to assist you with that wherever you happen to be here in the Bay Area or beyond. Now, here's a, here's actually a, a very common situation that comes up. I've talked about it a number of times over the last several months, but it bears repeating because I have a, another situation like this just brought to my attention that I'm probably going to be handling for a family. Here this person's grandfather passed away. He had a living trust, but he left out land that he owned. Now grandson's trying to sell the land, but it's still in grandpa's name. So he wanted to know, how can I amend the trust so I can go through escrow without any issues? Well, let's start first by saying there's no way you can really amend grandpa's trust and have it affect property he left out of his trust. That's not the issue. The issue is we have what I call a loose toy that was left outside of grandpa's toy box, his toy box being his living trust, the loose toy being the land that he left out. Basically, the approach to take is to go to court, file what's called a Hegstat petition, that's after a court case, now codified in the probate code under probate code section 850 and under probate code section 17200, I know I'm throwing statutes at you just to make me look smart, right? But this particular petition with the court is to go in and tell the court, hey, this property should have been in Grandpa's trust, so could you please sign an order putting it in Grandpa's trust? Depending on where you live in the state, this might be very straightforward using Grandpa's trust, maybe a schedule of assets, maybe a pour over will that he left saying, turn everything over to my trust. Other parts of the state, it's going to be more difficult. They may require more information. They may not be sufficient with a uh, poor over will. Uh, in cases like that, I've actually helped, and I can help people in those parts of the state by handling matters like that locally here in the Bay Area through one of the local probate courts where I can do it often without a formal hearing as well. So that's called a Hegstat petition. I do a number of those every year's year, and they're uh, very, very useful in cleaning up property that's left out of a trust after someone's died. We're coming up on the uh, the mid-show break now in a very short time here. So uh, uh, what I want to do is after the break, we'll come back, talk about some more questions and comments from around the state. My number, 800-516-1220 or radio at lawbob.com. This is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you after the mid-show break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about a number of situations that have arisen around the state of California. 
and I'm going to continue on with uh, with more of those because I seem to have some pretty interesting ones that I've been looking at in the last couple of days. Here's one um, that probably does come up fairly often um, when when people do their um, often do their own estate planning. Uh, when I read through this situation, I said this is actually probably a question for the bar examination on wills, but or at least the specialist exam, which I, I took a number of years ago, uh, where you kind of spot the issue and and kind of come to, I can't give any real conclusions, but I can at least talk around what the issues are. In this case, the person has, uh, mom had <clears throat> had a will that contains a statement that says if a portion of the will is deemed invalid, the remainder of the will is still okay. Now, that's very common in a will. It's common in trust documents as well. Here's the issue. Mom made this will. She included a separate handwritten page providing directions about her burial and a request to disperse funds and personal property to previously unmentioned beneficiaries. This separate handwritten page is not dated, doesn't say it's a will. It's just notes to the child in the form of a letter. It's addressed to the child and signed, Mom. Does this handwritten document invalidate the prior official signed dated will, just a part pertaining to the redistribution of specific funds and property, or does it have no impact at all? So... Let's talk about this. Um, First of all, a will to be valid now in California has to be a document that evidences testamentary intent, meaning that you intend to have things distributed at your death. Um, It can be done all in someone's handwriting called a holographic will. Uh, it can be done as a formal will that has witnesses signing it who sign that they watched you sign in front of them. It could be actually now a form that someone filled out, filled in blanks in a will form, signed it and dated it, and that's it. No witnesses at all. A will could even be a letter from someone that expresses testamentary intent. Here the issue is not whether or not the note from mom is a will, because if it says, hey, here's my burial instructions, and I want you to give property and, you know, funds and property to these people, that right there certainly sounds on the surface like it's a will. The The real issue is, when did mom write this? Did mom write this? before her will, and then she wrote a will and said, leave property here. Uh, Does this handwritten note try to give the same property to someone different from what the will says? Um, But the, the main thing is it's not dated. So unless there's other evidence to show when mom wrote this handwritten note up, you can't really tell when it was written. Now, if it was found with mom's will and clipped to the will or stapled to the will, you could probably argue that it was intended by mom to be a what we call a codicil 
or an amendment, if you will, to the will, uh, a holographic, excuse me, holographic codicil. It is signed mom and addressed apparently to a child. So that would be enough to say she signed it. And there may be enough extra evidence to show when it was prepared to say, yeah, it was intended to be a modification to her will. But I'll tell you what, there's no straightforward answer on a situation like that because it's not really clear when it was drafted, when it was signed, anything like that, or whether there was an intention to invalidate something that was in the actual formal will that was prepared. Now here, oh gosh, this is a this is a bad one here. Um, parents completed and signed a grant deed to transfer their property to their living trust. That was, uh, it looks like, back in mid-2017. Somehow, neither the parents or the notary noticed that in the grant deed section for the grantees, that's who's receiving the property, it not only had the parents as trustees to their trust, but also an unknown random person's name. Wow. After finally noticing this name, the notary public was questioned, and the notary said he must not have seen the name, but believes it must have been a transcription error made by the title company who drafted the grant deed for the parents and likely used an existing draft grant deed from their records to draft the parents' grant deed. How do my parents correct this? Well, I would say if the title company, if there's a title company that drew up this deed, it's their problem to fix it. I'd go back to the title company, point out the drafting error they made, have them prepare a correction deed that corrects what it should have been, and then have that signed and recorded, and then have the title company issue a uh, issue a title policy saying they will back up the validity of that deed because they're the ones that screwed up here. Um, the alternative is for the parents to go to court. I mean, they have a random person's name. They don't even know who the person is, where they live, or anything about them, is to go to court and ask a judge to correct the deed because it was clearly what we call a scrivener's error. It was written up incorrectly in the first place. Um, I might also have them record a correction deed themselves saying that it inadvertently had that extra name on there. But the problem is, will a title company insure the title if they go to sell the property later, if they go back and see that there's this other person's name on there? So I would probably go back to the title company and say, look, you broke it, you fix it. Because clearly they're the ones that made the error. They should be responsible for fixing the error. That's, that's my opinion right there. Now, here's someone saying, if I receive an inheritance of a house and money and I'm on Medi-Cal, how much can the state take from me? So here the person says they're 60 years old. They don't use Medi-Cal very often because Medicare picks up most of their costs. So they're one of those people in a special case who's not 65 years of age but still qualified for Medicare for, because of health reasons. 
says, can I get off Medi-Cal and choose another supplemental since I'll have more money? How much can they take from me? Well, first of all, because if the person had monies being paid on their behalf from Medi-Cal over age 55, then they'd probably have to pay that back to Medi-Cal. Uh, Medi-Cal would say, hey, we want to be reimbursed from that. If they take the house that they're inheriting and they put their that house as a residence into a living trust, then Medi-Cal couldn't recover against the house later on. Uh, but they're probably going to have to pay back Medi-Cal for any monies paid to them over age 55. They might have had Medi-Cal for many, many years before that, but they only really can collect after age 55. So that's kind of the short answer for that question right there. By the way, um, a good type of uh, Medi-Cal planning for someone who just owns a personal residence and not much of anything else is to set up a revocable living trust and retitle the property into that revocable living trust. Because of changes in the Medi-Cal recovery rules from the state of California, if you have a property in your residence in a living trust, they can't recover against that residence when you die. This means it could be left to your family, could be left to anyone you wish, actually, and it doesn't matter how much was spent for you for Medi-Cal, they can no longer touch your personal residence. So that is a big deal right there. Now here, someone's the administrator of an estate. They want to know, can they submit address changes to the post office for each of the deceased person's businesses that all mail comes to the administrator's address? The businesses were either LLCs with only the deceased person's name as a registered agent or their sole proprietorships. You should be able to do that with uh, letters of administration from the court that you could show to the post offices where you need to do the address changes, showing that this person has died. I'm the administrator, at least for the sole proprietorships. That should work. For the LLCs, it might be necessary to... um, uh, That still may work if you show that the owner of the LLC has died and you're now the administrator, so you're now taking over the LLC shares, it is certainly worth trying because uh, I think you, that the post office would probably cooperate you uh, with you on that. Now, we're coming up to the third break of the show. We'll be heading in and uh, coming around the far turn, heading into the home stretch in a few minutes from now. But uh, I want to tell you, if you'd like to give me a call, 800-516-1220, or radio at lawbob.com, where you can email me your your questions. Um, Just another quick reminder, I do have seminars coming up tomorrow and through February. So please, uh, if you'd like to see me in person and hear about living trust planning or retirement plan trust planning, uh, you can certainly register through my website or eventbrite.com. Talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show today. It's the shortest segment, so 
Um, if you're eager to get to your destination, hopefully you've got at least another eight minutes or so until you get there. And, um, and then you can sign off. Actually, it's not eight. It's more like about seven minutes. So um, here is, uh, let's see, here's a situation out of Temecula. I've always loved the sound of Temecula. It reminds me of Tarantula. Here, uh, grandparents left a trust and a will. My cousin has all the documents. How can I make her give me the docs and the deed? Both the, both the cousin and the person asking the question are beneficiaries. Well, let's start first by, um, sounds like the grandparents have passed away. And who's the successor trustee of the trust? If the cousin's the successor trustee of the trust and has all the documents, she has a legal obligation to provide those to the other beneficiary, the person who's asking the question. That's um, There's actually a required notice under probate code section 16061.7 that has to go out and give you the ability to request a copy of the terms of the trust. Uh, that usually means a copy of the trust. And if the cousin refuses to turn over copies of any of the documents, then this person might very well have to take the cousin to court to compel them to turn it over. And in the process, because of the failure to comply with the law, maybe even have the cousin removed as the trustee of the grandparent's trust. It's like I said in the segment before. Um, if you're a trustee, you have responsibilities under the law, and one of them is to not play loosey-goosey with the beneficiaries of a trust and say, well, I'm not going to give that to you or you're not entitled to that. It's quite the opposite. It's the other way around. And uh, that kind of stuff happens all the time. People take over as trustees, and they think trustee, if you look it up in the dictionary, trustee is going to say dictator, like I'm in charge. I get to dictate everything that happens, and you have no say and there's nothing that you can do about it because I'm the trustee. I'm the dictator. Like I said before, it's actually the opposite. You are the servant of the beneficiaries. You basically serve at their pleasure. You're responsible for looking out for them, not for you. So being a trustee is a serious responsibility. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they're either not aware of it or they don't care. And they get themselves into trouble over that. Now, here says, uh, let's see, can I notarize a copy of my living trust? Um, my original notarized living trust was lost. If I notarize a copy, will it be a legal trust? Hmm. Well, I would say, first of all, if you have a photocopy of your living trust, um, that is valid to use for pretty much all purposes. Presumably, the trust says that a photocopy is as valid as the original. It should, but basically a copy of a trust is going to be just fine. Um, notarizing a copy of it, I guess what you're saying is, you know, what if I sign again, date and sign and have my signature notarized um, as part of, you know, a copy of my trust? I guess what that would do would just affirm that, you know, yes, uh, I might put a statement that says on that, says something to the effect of, I am notarizing this copy of my trust because I lost the original 
you know, this is my trust or something to that effect. So because if a trust is missing or a will is missing, the presumption is that the person who created it destroyed it and tore it up. They didn't want it anymore. But if you're still alive and you lost your trust, then certainly write something on it and uh, and have your signature notarized. But uh, my question would be, is there a way to go back to whoever prepared the trust for you to just do what's called an amendment and restatement where you just print the trust out all over again, say, I set it up on this date, I'm restating it on this date, and it says the exact same thing, and you just sign it all over again. It still keeps the original trust name, so you don't have to change bank accounts and real estate and things like that. But the other thing that that does is uh, you now have an original trust document again. And, and so that would actually solve the problem. I think that's actually the better solution. Um, I've had to do that a couple of times in my career for clients who have lost their original trust document. And we do an amendment and restatement so that they have an original all over again. By the way, if you do an amendment and restatement and you have a pour-over will, you want to do a brand-new pour-over will as well because otherwise your old pour-over will will not actually be referring to the new restated trust. And a will has to refer to a document in existence at the time the will was signed in order to have an effect on that document like a Hegstad petition to get loose property transferred into that trust. Well, we're done for the day. Wrapping up now, just have maybe about 45 seconds to go. Um, You can email me, radio at lawbob.com. Feel free to call me, 408-247-0444. I'm going to be having my living trust and retirement plan trust seminars tomorrow in my office here in San Jose. That's uh, December 8th. You can visit my website at LawBob or visit a Brent Bright for more details. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. And I hope you'll tune in next week and tell your friends because I enjoy doing these shows and I enjoy passing on information to all of you out there. So until next week, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio, and I hope you have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.